0: Fertility changes people and sometimes not in a good way. And unfortunately, we as nurses and our financial counselors have to deal with that on a daily basis. The best way to deal with that is to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. That's a general rule for any for any person. But in order to take be able to take care of these patients and deal with these patient situations is to take care of yourself
1: first and then you can take care of others welcome to inside reproductive health the shop talk of the fertility field here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management patient relations and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field wall street and silicon valley both want your patients but there is a plan if you are willing to take action Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones.
2: Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by Lori Whalen. Lori is a registered nurse. She works at HRC in Southern California. She's the international IVF coordinator there. She has been The clinic manager, a number of different clinics, managed different nursing teams, speaks throughout the field at places like MRSI, at PCRS, at Toronto Speakers Bureau, as well as being a part of the Nurses Professional Group in ASRM and other meetings hosted by educational pharmaceutical initiatives throughout the country. Lori Whalen, welcome to Inside Reproductive Health.
0: Thank you, Griffin. It's really nice to so be we're here. we're actually
2: recording this before PCRS. It's going to come out after PCRS, but let's pretend we're at the pool right now having a cocktail with all of our colleagues and friends around us. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I really wanted to have you on because you've spoken at a number of different conferences, some of the same ones that I've spoken at, and we've been on panels together and been on the same dockets together and I want to know how someone goes from being a nurse who some people don't want to do one darn thing in addition to what they already have to do in the office to somebody who is talking about this in the field. Talk about the interest and why you feel interested in or compelled to do that.
0: Well, I think that being a nurse, first of all, we're very diverse and I think it's the need for information and the need for learning. Like I had a need to learn more and be better at my trade so that I could be better, a better nurse to um, be able to speak to my patients, to make them feel that I'm educated and I know what I'm talking about. And when you can do that or have the confidence to do that, I think your patients will learn to trust you a little bit more um, and trust the information that you're giving them. And I think it really helps to take care of your patients um, at a different level. I know some people are not interested in learning anything more than what they have on their plate. But sometimes they can make your job a little easier. The more knowledge that you have under your belt, you know, helps you feel more confident about the job that you're doing.
2: Of all the topics that you speak on, what do you enjoy the most?
0: I like to speak on um, compassion fatigue. Right now, being in the business for a long time, I think this is a really real problem for infertility nurses today, whether you've been in for six months or where you've been in for many years, because it does affect your job performance. It affects your health. It affects um, everything about you um, as a person, and you're not able to do your job to the capacity for which you would like to do your job. And so I think getting the word out there that this is a real thing that's happening with nurses today, it goes beyond just burnout. Today, we have so much technology and so many other things we need to talk to patients about than we ever have before. So that puts a lot of burden on the nurses today on what we have to educate our patients about. So you think about, we have to do this with every single patient that we come in contact with. And, you know, we don't always get the best responses from patients and no matter how hard we try or how much time we spend with patients, they still may come at us with, you know, that they are not appreciative of, you know, the information that we're giving them. And that's really a hard thing for us to try to manage
2: so how do you go from being a clinical manager dealing with these issues on a day-to-day basis and speaking to compassion fatigue to the international side of things tell us about how that happened
0: well i think that you know being part of international grouping because we do a lot of gender selection in our office. So going from doing third party and then managing local patients that you just, you know, basic patients for what you see that and even the basic basic patients, you know, who have genetic issues or things like that, those are hard patients to manage as well but go, going into international with gender selection no, oh, it's out there it's all over the world and you know where it's not where it's very restrictive or against the law that's how I became part of that process and it it is a lot it's like dealing with third-party people all over the world, because you have to organize everything for these patients. They're coming from another country, trying to stay close with them, getting them all the information that they need to in a timely manner with the time differences from everywhere. Sometimes you go crazy not knowing where you're at, you know, in the world as far as timing goes. So, I mean, but it's very interesting, interesting people, but it is very stressful. It's just as stressful at, doing that as any part of any other fertility people that you have to deal with third party, regular patients. I say regular patients. I mean, the ones that are local that are pretty basic, but you know, they have a lot of emotional needs as well. So, and that doesn't change with any patient that comes from any part of the world. So I enjoy it. It is kind of like now my forte that I've known I'm known for, um, and I, I like it but with it comes a lot of stress and trying to handle employees as well with their stress it's a lot i
2: imagine that it is like being an i being a third party coordinator on steroids and for those that are unfamiliar so in certain countries maybe like japan and china among others australia new zealand sex selection is illegal using pgt for sex selection in those countries is typically against the law so they come to a place like california is that right
0: yeah i mean so In the United States, gender selection is legal. However, that doesn't mean that all clinics are going to provide that service because there is some type of there is some ethical issues that people, you know, feel that involves gender selection. So they choose not to offer it at their clinics, which is totally fine. You know, I get that. I I had that issue in the beginning, but I had to. You know realize that I'm not the one to be judging these patients or people for what they want to do. I'm here to provide a service and hope to give them the best care that they that they deserve going through with that as you
2: mentioned some clinics are doing it there's such a demand for it that some clinics are doing it at such a volume where that's your full- time job as being the international IVF coordinator is it is it all sex selection? And a lot of countries don't allow for either egg donor or gestational carrier, or they just have really strict rules on compensation for it. So they have very few and folks need to come to the United States. Is there some is there donor egg and gestational carrier needs as well, or is it almost entirely sex selection?
0: Well, yeah. So they Some patients that are doing sex selection are also using a surrogate. We find a lot of our Chinese patients do a lot of that, just using a surrogate in general, freezing their eggs and using a surrogate. But yeah, we have patients who use donor eggs that are doing gender selection as well.
2: And how do you describe the differences in managing this patient load, this caseload versus other patient cases? Like you said, it's the, the, the dealing with similar issues. They have the same needs at the end of the day. I imagine by virtue of things like thousands of mile of travel, there's an additional stress component. So how do you describe the differences in managing third-party patients that are coming to you locally within an hour drive of you or so, and those ones that are coming from overseas.
0: So the emotional component to me, for me, that I observe is a lot different because patients who already have children and they're coming for gender selection, and they are just choosing the gender that they want. They just they feel that they have a better chance at getting pregnant uh, because they have already had children, so their expectations are very high. Their attitude is, well, it's going to work because we already have kids, and all we're doing is we can get pregnant very easy. However, so we're just coming for gender selection. However, you know, these patients who have had children already, now they're in their probably 35 or older that are coming for their third or fourth child, and they want that gender. You know, we do pre-testing on them, and lo and behold, they do have an infertility issue because now they're older and their pre-testing or ovarian reserve testing shows us that they have a diminished ovarian reserve. So it is going to be a little bit harder to get them pregnant. So with that said... The emotional component of those patients is their expectations are a lot higher than a patient that does not have children already that are going through fertility. And this is just mainly what I see as an observation. So dealing with those patients on an emotional level and trying to let them know that they do have fertility issues is a lot, is really a lot more difficult, I think, than dealing with patients who have not had children. Because their expectations are a lot higher coming into this than a patient that has infertility issues.
2: And if the age and the situation are similar, are there other nuances between someone coming to you locally versus someone who's coming from uh, another country? I imagine that. How do you deal with the language barrier, for example?
0: So most of my patients, I don't have a language barrier unless they're like from France or Belgium. Most most of the time, one of the two parties do speak English. So I haven't really run across too much of a language barrier for patients coming over. Now, the other barrier would be cultural. So learning how to deal with different patients from different cultures because they do things a lot differently. That is An education, all in itself, (laughs) you know, because sometimes you don't deal with the wife; you deal only with the husband, because that's their culture. And so, learning how to do that was a little bit difficult. But I think I have it down now. I do learn a few new things along the way, but but that was a very interesting lesson coming into doing international cases.
2: That's something you probably wouldn't necessarily consider, too. Was is there even any training for that? Is that something you have to learn? as you go.
0: Yeah, there's no training. I mean, yeah, just kind of learn as you go, you know, that there are cultural differences between how husband and wives react with each other and what is expected of the husband and wife in certain situations, especially infertility, I guess, or being able to communicate with, both parties. Sometimes I I have put expectations on patients who are culturally diverse by saying that I must at least have both parties on the phone so that the wife can hear what I'm saying because sometimes I get emails from both parties because they're not talking to each other. So they, and they're pretty open to that as long as I keep to the rule where I ask, I direct my questions to only the husband.
2: That sounds like probably a cultural difference that's more of the extreme. There's probably other things like, you know, just how you, you know, maybe the small talk you make or any other thing that might affect patient care. Are they typically finding you from their own search or do they often come from an agency that can help facilitate this?
0: for my patients we have we do have uh, liaisons in australia because we have a lot of patients in australia i've traveled there a couple of times we have a lot of patients from the london area i've traveled there also to meet with patients and meet the physicians that help us as well as the nurses so i have a pretty good rapport with a lot of clinics and physicians and nurses from all over the main areas where I deal with, which is really awesome because I've been doing this now for probably about 10 years. So I've, you know, made a lot of connections and connections from connections and people that want to help us, even though it's, you know, illegal in those particular countries or cities, which has made it a lot easier for me to get my pre-testing results and monitor patients over there because They're usually monitored in their country and then they come here just for the procedures. So I've developed those relationships and it works really well.
2: And those relationships aren't easy to to build either. Do you have a set number of countries that you're working within and then someone else is coordinating for East Asia or Latin America or other parts of the world?
0: Yeah. So we have a team that does strictly Chinese patients. They speak Chinese and there are liaisons that they work with to bring patients here. So they work with them over there. So that's a whole separate entity for our practice. Yeah. And it's quite busy. I'm
2: painting the picture of how involved this is because I think it would be easy to say, oh, well, could we see some more patients from country A? But there's really a lot at play, which has to do with that you're managing you're, I mean you're physically going over to certain countries to build these relationships and you're you're only one of the teams there's other people working with other parts of in other parts of the world this is really involved
0: yes because there's a need for it you know if they're not, their countries are not going to provide that service then the patients are going to travel to where that service will be provided for them. And when them. you're
2: managing nurses that serve these patients, is there are there nurses that work just with international patients as well? Or are you coordinating among all of the nurses? So sometimes they see international patients, sometimes they see local patients.
0: Sometimes. We, so we have a third-party coordinator, and she will do the out-of-country that are not Chinese third-party cases. And then, like I said, we have our Chinese court or our patients who manage the Chinese population solely because of the language and they do everything in their language. And so I, my job is to do the rest of the country, which is the United States. Cause I do have people that come from other States to our center for gender because it's not, offered in their state or in their local clinic. We also have very good pregnancy rates, so people want to come to us for that. They look us up online because everything is out there now, and they may come to us just solely because of our pregnancy rates. You know, the more patients we see and the more patients we get pregnant, the better our pregnancy rates are going to show. So that brings a lot of patients to our our center. Clinics, you know, people that I do coordination for, sometimes they come because I'm not going to be bringing it on myself, but my name is out there on a lot of websites, and I have patients that just get in touch with me. They get my email, and they get in touch with me, and just a matter of getting back to them in a timely manner, and the way that I give them information, they decide to come to our clinic, so... Work and then they tell other patients, and a a lot of it comes from a word of mouth. I hadn't really
2: considered that folks would come from other states, but that makes sense if they're doing family balancing. Do you often find that they're balancing boys because they have more girls already, or vice versa?
0: I don't. I think it's more of a personal choice that you know. Like I said, passing on the family name. A lot of people. Culturally, want to have boys if they have all girls, and I think sometimes for women, it's a desire to have a girl if they have all boys. And I just, again, I think it's a personal choice. And but I do know that when they want to have that gender, they will do whatever it takes to get That's that. That's what gender.
2: surprised me when I was talking with a mental health professional in our field a few years ago, and she said, "Griffin, you wouldn't believe how many mothers of three boys and she she mentioned the of two or three boys but i think she really emphasized three that they really want a girl for their third or fourth child and i think that i hadn't considered that before i think when we think of sex selection we think of more of the cultural especially for probably some countries that are more of you know maybe a patriarchal culture for lack of a better term and hadn't really considered that that would be something so common, but she said it really is.
0: Yeah, very common. I have a lot of patients come for females. If I had to weigh out, I would say probably I get more females than males, maybe a little bit more.
2: Wow. Then are there other folks that you have to manage to make sure that they don't face burnout in in treating these patients. In other words, is it not just nurses, but are there other coordinators? Are there other folks that correspond with international patients that you need to make sure they're not getting burned out or translators or are there, are there other considerations personnel wise uh, with burnout or compassion fatigue?
0: Yeah, of course. So we have our front office people because they have to schedule their either follow-up appointments if they have a failed cycle. So they come in contact with those patients and our new patient coordinator who initiates all of the information to get them in as a patient to get all their information. So they're the first ones that actually deal with those patients. I would have to say the most daunting and probably the most Second, next to the nurse that's coordinating the cycles would be the financial coordinators. Those are the ones that have to speak to the patients and collect the money. So that's sometimes a really hard thing when they're also paying for airfare and you know uh hotel accommodations and activities my patients come here and they do a vacation so and sometimes they bring other family members so that they can watch the kids that they have already right while they're going through their procedures so it's not only bringing themselves they bring their kids they bring their in-laws or sister or whoever you know, wants to come and then they kind of do this. And then they, in the days that they have free, they go and travel and, you know, do vacation things with their kids. Disneyland is a big spot. Las Vegas is a big spot. San Francisco, San Diego, because we have so many things here to offer for patients, you know, to come and do other things other than just go through treatment here. So, you know, so having to pay for all of that, plus the cycle. And their meds and everything else, it can be quite costly. So, yeah, our financial people, I think, are the next ones that really get the burnout issue.
2: When you're helping them with that, because this is what you got into the speaking part of things because of your managerial experience and helping reduce compassion fatigue, helping alleviate burnout. Are people just people and it's the same for financial coordinators as it is for the nurses or are there nuances between how you counsel and manage the two Because they're different roles.
0: With financials, it's a little bit tricky because, you know, with financials, the cost is what it is. And so you either patients have the money or they don't have the money. So, you know, counseling the financial counselors would be about the same and how to reduce stress, how to deal with those patients and not let them take things personally that you would do with your nurses. You never want to take anything patients do personally, because you have to remember that these patients are frustrated. They're on a journey that is very delicate. A lot of times our patients, when nurses deal with patients, patients are on hormones and some patients have histories and they have a journey that they have been on before they even got to you. So they're not going to be the same people that they were before they started their journey. And you'll know this because if you deal with these, some of these patients and you get them pregnant, they are a whole different person after they get pregnant. I mean, they're, they, you know, so you know that fertility changes people and sometimes not in a good way. And unfortunately we as nurses and our financial counselors have to deal with that on a daily basis. The best way to deal with that is to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. That's a general rule for any for any person, but in order to take be able to take care of these patients and deal with these patient situations, is to take care of yourself first, and then you can take care of others. And so, how better. do you
2: properly set these expectations with patients that are coming from across the ocean, so that that doesn't get taken out on your staff? Like, did people ever say? Oh, wasn't Lori going to pick me up from the airport or did they ever call you with things like this hotel <laughs> yeah. sucks or the cables not working in my hotel room? Or do you, how, how do you set the expectations? Uh,
0: I don't, I don't get a lot of that. Well, I don't get a lot of that, but, um, but however, a setting expectations with your patients, I feel is Very, very important, because if you don't from the very first time that you talk to them, you know, they're going to complain and because they're not they're not going to feel like they're getting the service that they're paying for. But I tell my patients right off the bat, you know, I as far as emailing or how our communication is going to go, emailing is the best. And I always tell them if you need a phone call, because a lot of patients need that phone call that we need to set up an appointment so that you don't keep calling me and you keep missing me. And then I don't call you back, you know, because of the time difference. I always tell my patients, I'd be happy to talk to you, but we have to set an appointment so that we don't miss each other. And I tell financials do the same thing, because if you keep missing a patient, their anxiety and their anger is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And then by the time you end up talking to them, they're going to be so unhappy that you know, you're just not going to be able to settle them down. So expectations in the very beginning, whether you're seeing a patient that's local or any patient, let them know how your clinic runs. Let them know when you're going to be able to get back with them so they don't keep calling all day long. Now, sometimes that's not going to work because you're going to have that patient that's still going to call you when you're in clinic and expect you to drop what you're doing and get to the phone. I always let patients know when I'm going to be contacting them or when I'm able to contact them and that they would hear from me, you know, within a 24 hour period or sooner. I always check my emails. I have to 24/7 because of the time difference, getting reports back and things like that. I tell patients I don't contact on Sunday because that's my holy day.
2: (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough.
0: So they pretty much Understand that. And they and they, you know, tell me, yeah, you need to have a day off. Some people do understand that. Some people do not. So you just kind of have to feel out your patience, know when you have to be a little bit, you know, more stern. And the thing is, to be honest, I think a patient respects you more if you call them on their stuff. You know, I mean, if they're not being nice to you, tell them, you know what? Hey, I'm trying to be nice with you. I'm trying to do what I can to help you. I don't feel that, you know, you need to talk to me that way. You know, I mean, you're a person, you're a human being. You don't, you shouldn't have to take stuff like that.
2: Setting patient expectations could be an entire episode. Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing... A couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person. Person before you put out an RFP or look for services before you get your house in order. Because by definition, this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams, and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal and competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now, back to Inside Reproductive Health. Larry, right, what would you want to conclude with about the nexus between international patients, between the nurses that serve them and mitigating compassion fatigue. So you're reducing dropout and burnout. What would you want to conclude about all the the two of those things and the bridge between them that I haven't asked you about?
0: Well, I I mean, we touched on, I think, taking care of yourself first, trying to recognize that you have compassion passion fatigue and how you can do that is you know when you see a patient's number or you get a phone call from a patient and you don't want to take that call or you have to take a deep breath that's you are getting into compassion fatigue and it can happen in all aspects of the practice, not just the nursing part, but financial, front office, anywhere, or anyone who deals with infertility patients. Find ways to reduce your stress at work. Ask your employers to provide maybe a five-minute massage once a week for your employees. or And, you know, managerial support is always the best when you can go to them and say, you know, listen, I'm, you know, we are you know, stressed out or we're getting close to burnout and we feel that we can't do good justice to our patients and get their support. Hopefully you'll have it and figure out ways in your office that you can reduce stress together for yourselves, you know, so that you can all be on the same page and try to reduce that stress because you will be able to manage your patients better. You'll be able to manage your personal life better, um, your home life better. And else.
2: Great advice from a very experienced professional who is doing this in a very unique role. Lori Whalen, thanks so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health.
1: Thank you, Griffin, for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health podcast with Griffin Jones.